0: Welcome to the Living Leadership Podcast, equipping leaders to live in Christ joyfully and serve Him faithfully. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Living Leadership Podcast. We're currently sharing a series of talks given at the Pastoral Refreshment Conference in 2016 on Jesus the Pastor. Pastoral Refreshment Conferences are opportunities for leaders and their spouses to come away for three days to receive spiritual encouragement and refreshment in beautiful surroundings. Our Pastoral Refreshment Conferences in 2024 are currently open for booking, so we'd love to invite you along to join us. They take place at the end of January in Hertfordshire and the beginning of February in the Lake District. You can find out more about these on our website at www.livingleadership.org forward slash PRC for Pastoral Refreshment Conference. Anyway, over to today's episode.
1: Good morning. Good It's been a real privilege to... uh, partake in this powerful refreshment conference and uh, I'm moving on refreshed and I hope you are too uh, I just wondered if we could pause to say thank you to Marcus and his uh, team, to our musicians our sound engineer, our bookstore manager, why don't we just uh, show appreciation for all A few years ago, I decided that I would read the biography of every prime minister that I have lived under. Um, I knew my spiritual history, my family history. I wanted to know a little bit about the social and political background. So beginning with Winston Churchill, going all the way through uh, to nowadays uh, David Cameron. I don't need to read um, his uh, biography just yet. I haven't read them in order. Uh, I've read them um, out of order. And uh, uh, the most recent one, I have just completed the two volumes, brilliantly written volumes of Charles Moore on Margaret Thatcher. Uh, A story about Margaret Thatcher, which isn't in either of those books, is that soon after the end of the Falklands War, um, she was doing a walkabout in the area of Victoria. She'd walked from um, uh, Downing Street and under police escort Uh, she was walking down to some social project down near Victoria and as they uh, crossed the lights um, not far from Westminster Cathedral uh, they came across a man sitting on the ground with his dog and a cap and the sign said Falklands Veteran and Margaret Thatcher was leading the way and she couldn't miss this man so um, she stopped and the party behind her stopped And uh, she opened her handbag and she took out a note and she put it in the cap of the Falklands veteran. And he looked up and said to her, Muchos gracias, (laughs) señora." Things don't always appear as they seem. David Abscher, in a speech where he was looking at the moral authority of U.S. presidents, said this, how many of our presidents in recent times have had personal crises because they never put away childish things, never grew out of their hang-ups, never learned from their mistakes, never put the nation ahead of themselves. I think that that quote on the journey that I've made through many of the biographies could fit many of those who've led us as prime minister. Enoch Powell, I think, was right when he said, every political life ends in failure. Uh, It's not the story of Christian ministry, although if we change it slightly, how many of our pastors have had personal crises because they've never put away childish things, never grown out of their hang-ups, never learned from their mistakes, never quite put the Lord ahead of themselves. The pastor in the field, the pastor in the valley, and the third study is the pastor on the beach. How Jesus the pastor deals with the uh, unfinished business of failure in our lives. You know those long shadows. Uh, Sometimes we're dealing with the long shadows that cast themselves on other people. This morning I want to very particularly around this table spread. It's an invitation from Jesus, the past, to allow him to focus on you, nobody else. Those unhealed wounds from the past, those buried hurts caused by conflict and the pain of regret and misery when we know that sometimes we've contributed to the conflict. The focus of chapter 21, as we've seen, is the rehabilitation of those in ministry who know they failed. It's a familiar passage, and I have to confess to you, this morning, I, um, this is a room full of leaders and speakers, and you've been through these passages before. I've just prayed, Lord, make this fresh light from your word on old matters. Look how the pastor chooses the setting to stir the memory of a promise. The band of brothers have gone back to Tiberius, Galilee. Why seven and not 12? Uh, Well, it's possible that these were all local boys. If you say the uh, unnamed two are Andrew and Philip, then these seven have gone back to their home territory it's a very natural thing uh, for them to do and of course john 20 tells us about how they've been reunited they've been reunited and recommissioned after that roller coaster of a week palm sunday good friday easter day and the resurrected lord comes with his word of reconciliation peace be with you And there's the breath of the promise that will be fully experienced on the day of Pentecost, receive the Holy Spirit. And then there's the assuring commissioning. As the Father sent me, so send I you. Jesus has united them and they've been recommissioned. Forgiven, reassured, commissioned again into ministry. So why is the pastor on the beach in John chapter 21? Why do you need John 21 if it's all happened in the upper room? I think the reason is, when you look at this closely, is not even the joy of a resurrection appearance, not even forgiveness, acceptance, recommissioning, and the promise of the Spirit could blot out from the memory what had happened. And Jesus regathers them on the beach because a deeper work of grace is needed in their lives he wants to go to the causes behind the failure why is it that peter is full of hollow words and cowardly denials what about these the brashness of james and john the sons of zebedee who in the upper room had the gall to talk about leadership positions and when you read john chapter 14 and Philip is a strange one. Um, He doesn't in John 12 even have the boldness when Greeks come and say, can we meet Jesus? He doesn't have the boldness to go up to Jesus and just say, these guys want to see you. He has to find his brother Andrew and pass on the invitation through him. And that's what happens. And so do you feel the exasperation of Jesus? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And Philip says, well, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Philip you've been with me three years has the penny not dropped don't you understand so although they're forgiven and assured and recommissioned a deeper work is needed in their lives and by god's grace that's going to take place and i have to say it uh, rings bells with me i as a pastor, know those occasions when the Lord um, has forgiven me for my failures. He has reassured me that I'm still His and called to ministry, but He does want to come come back to me and chat to me about why why that sort of hasty email and that curt phone conversation and that cold heart towards somebody who challenged you very publicly this desire to punish people by sending them to some sort of place called coventry. So Jesus forgives me for that, especially when I confess with tears. Yes, I'm forgiven, but pastor Jesus wants to go deeper. And I think in a place like a pastoral refreshment conference, a safe place, a good place to be. So what Jesus does is he, he recreates this, setting here they are and it it's really back on the beach where Luke five three years ago he first called them and um, it was three years previously that he had made a promise it'll no longer be fishing for fish but fishing for people and so he's brought them back and wants to remind them that failure hasn't canceled the promise Uh, I could take you to Eston Street, Keswick, where in July, 1959, I heard the call, follow me and I will make you a fisher for people. Isaiah chapter 42, I have called you, I've taken you by the hand, and um, I've stood outside, I've taken the picture. I remember the upstairs room, it was a Wednesday, rather like Marcus said, you don't come to all the sessions, you don't have to come to all the sessions. Our leader who took us there as young people said, You don't have to come to all the sessions. And by Wednesday, I had Bible stuff coming out of my ears, and I just wanted to be alone with the Lord. And it was that aloneness with the Lord that gave me the call from Him. Through all the failures that I've experienced in ministry, it's never, ever cancelled the promise. He brings them back to the place where he first called and promised them. But he does want to go deeper with them. And so he chooses this setting to remind them that they need his power. If they're going to be fruitful, he not only recreates the place. This is where I called you, but he recreates the circumstances of Luke five. Do you remember Luke five, they fished all night and caught nothing. John 21, three years later, they fished all night and they've caught nothing. Dawn is breaking. Even now, if you go to Israel, you'll see them at nighttime fishing with the lights on the back of the boat, attracting the fish to the surface. And why? Well, it's fresh fish caught that can go to the market in the morning. It's an ancient practice, 2,000 years old and probably more. So they know that now dawn is breaking. Nothing will happen now. And so Jesus calls us a stranger from the beach. Lads, have you caught in a No. Why don't you cast the net on the other side, the right side of the boat? They did that. And uh, 153, unbroken net. Luke 5, the net was broken. 153, an unbroken net with 153 fish. Uh, Don Carson's right when he says if the evangelism has symbolism in the 153, he's hiding it very well. <laughs> Uh, I wouldn't be too bothered about it. I would say to you, this is God's lavish abundance of grace and goodness. It's the overflowing baskets in John 6 when the boy's fish produces such grace and goodness for hungry people. It's that all over again. But symbols are important to John, especially nighttime. Nighttime is about ignorance, spiritual and moral, moral ignorance. That's why Nicodemus comes at night why Judas, John 13, goes out at night. And here, as night disappears and dawn is breaking, the spiritual ignorance of those who have been forgiven and assured and commissioned, they're ignorant at this moment, but gifted, experienced, and skilled as they are. They knew these waters like the back of their hand. But that counts for nothing in spiritual terms when it comes to serving Jesus. An old friend of, pastor friend of mine, Norman, I heard him say many years ago when he had gone through a very difficult season. He said to me, David, he said, I am an experienced skipper. Many times I've been at the wheel and yet I didn't see the rocks. And he would say, if Norman was here, his testimony would be that I wasn't united to Jesus. This is a a room full of experienced people. Gifts, experience, skill. And you know what the Lord says to us. Apart from me, you can not be fruitful. It's not the abundance of gifts. It's not the abundance of experience. It's not your hard work and your dedication. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me. Abide in me they're learning the first lesson the presence of Jesus his power and his presence he directing the ministry is what makes it fruitful and then see from verse 9 how assuring grace creates hospitality I was talking with Philip Warburton yesterday and we were saying that um, of all the places both of us have led groups to Israel of all the places where we really Um, feel the presence of the Lord. It is the the shores of Galilee. Whenever I take a group um, uh, to Israel, I always make sure that we spend uh, a lengthy amount of time on that beach. I say scatter. Uh, You'll find I have brought back um, charred wood where people have recreated the barbecue. And you can almost smell the barbecue fire and barbecue fish being cooked. It's a very evocative setting. And Jesus said to them, uh, come and have breakfast and bring some of the fish that you've caught. The sheer social pleasure of eating with Jesus. Yes, it is confusing. The man from the tomb eating bread and fish, mind catching up with heart. They knew it was Jesus, but what sort of Jesus in his resurrection experience? But what's more unbelievable than the man from the tomb eating bread and fish is this guest list? The man who denied, the man who, de- uh, who doubted, and the ambitious disciples, the sons of Zebedee. Invitation to breakfast on the beach is a grace invitation and is the standard for our ministry. When we receive, as we have done, the hospitality of Jesus' heart, towards us that creates the hospitality in our hearts towards others we've had some excellent book recommendations but i want to top them all i'm sorry about this i wrote a book in 1986 called (laughs) called build that bridge and i checked on amazon this morning Uh, it's out of print but there are 19 copies available. The cheapest is one penny. Plus two pound ninety nine post and package. I was a bit alarmed to see that something called Murray Media are selling my modest little work for eighty six pounds. Explain to me afterwards. Oh, nothing, no, no, wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, You can still get in. Sometimes I didn't do it this time. I bring it to conferences and uh, I let folk have it for for a penny. Uh, It's it's really about building bridges in the church. It's about broken relationships. It's about uh, uh, how to handle disagreements. It's about church discipline. It's about the aftermath of church discipline. And uh, uh, I poured a lot of my life into that book. I wrote an open letter uh, to my church fellowship because we were having a worship war at that moment and I wrote an open letter to them uh, about worship in the church. I called it the last place for disagreement. And in 1986, I I was um, going around the country and preaching and and taking the message of the book with me. And I came to a church and a young couple came up to me afterwards and asked me to sign the book and said, thank you very much. And and then they said, um, had you thought of building a bridge to Peter? Uh, Peter and I had had a very close friendship for 10 years, we met in college, he was the guy who was with me when we sat in the back of the car in Dallas and we were asked if we were pre-millennial dispensation, and he was my best man. But then something happened which doesn't need to bother you, because it doesn't bother us anymore, but it happened. And with another family, three families together, there was no contact for 10 years. I'd lost touch. I didn't have his details. I didn't know where he was living. He hadn't been in touch with me. I hadn't been in touch with him. Until this young couple, who knew something, but not everything. They just said, had you thought of building a bridge to Peter? Do you know it only took one phone call to bring us together a random meal? We didn't dwell on the why's and wherefores why we had had a breach of fellowship to 10 years. We were just so thrilled to be together. And every year, over the last 30 years, every year, most recently in Worcester for his 80th birthday, we, Peter and his wife, and John and his wife, and Jan and myself, we've had the grace that comes through hospitality. We gather around meals. And I just offer it to you and, and just say, if the hospitality of the heart of Jesus the pastor has blessed you then let it create the hospitality in your own heart towards those with whom you've been estranged Jesus did it on the beach you can make your own guest list it may cost you a few meals but the Lord will bless you and at this table we have to say it's the hospitality of the cross that creates the hospitality of the heart. But of course, in verses 15 to 17, the, uh, the pastor has to address past failures. See, integrity demanded that this man who's gonna stand up in the name of the risen Lord on Pentecost Day, who has so publicly failed, there has to be some dealing with the past failure. And so he calls him by his old name, Simon, Simon, son of John. Peter must have bristled at that. Because Simon was a reminder of the old nature. Simon means blowing in the breeze. Peter is the rock, but he hasn't been a rock. And is there a hint of a family DNA here? Simon, son of John, it goes back through a few generations, this old nature. It's emerging again. And Jesus is coming to a familiar place. Creating a familiar scene and giving him an old familiar name because he said that's what you've been without me Again, I say to you we may bristle you may bristle today you may have bristled over the last two days but the grace of the Lord always comes with healing in its wings and If you allow the searching examination of the Lord grace is a footstep behind Do you love me more than these? Yes, three times to cancel out the three denials. Yes, three times because in the ancient Eastern custom, if you wanted to be solemn about an obligation, then it was three times that you asked the question in the face of the lawyer. But is it more important to focus on the first question? Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these band of brothers around you? Because I know you love them. That's why you asked about John. You realize that they're, they're a perfect blend. John is the one with spiritual discernment. From the boat, looking to the shore, it's Jesus. Spiritually discerning John notices it's Jesus, but it's action man, Peter, who gets out of the boat. He needed John in the team to identify Jesus, but he made the first move. He was often first out of the boat. So I think he loves this team. I think he's very clubbable. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? Pointing to the fishing gear. This work that has been your work and hardened your hands as a young man, because they were young men. Jesus was a young man. Or do you love me more than people? I think Peter was a people person. Of his nature, of his temperament. And I turn that into a question for my own ministry. Jesus says, David, do you love me more than you love working in a team? And I couldn't work in anything else but a team. I really couldn't, unless the Lord asked me to. Uh, My preference, and I believe his preference too, is that I'm in a band of brothers and sisters. Do you love me more than you love working in a team? Do you love me more than the work of ministry? At my best when I'm fit and mental, mentally and spiritually fit, and I love. It, it's been a mountain to climb to prepare for this, but you'll know as pastors there is a deep fulfillment in my heart that together we've allowed the Holy Spirit to help us explore the Scriptures. Do I love him more than the work of ministry? What happens one day when I'm not able to stand here? I'll be too weak and feeble. Do you love me more than the actual task of ministry? Do you love me more than you love people? I was saying to Graham, I thanked him for reminding us. Sometimes we talk about the miseries of people, but people are great. Thank you for that reminder. Thank you, Lord, for the people in my life who affirm I had a text this morning. One of our housemate members saying, praying for you for this last day. I love them. But do you love me more than you love people? So if I took the team, and if I took the work, and if I took the people out of your life, would you love me? I was just you and me in the wilderness. What level of love? And then, of course, it isn't only the the love. I think he really wants to tackle the shallowness of this man's mouth. Look at the amount of times in the Gospels, the arrogant boasting, I'll never deny. The spiritual insight, you're the Christ. Insights under Satan, you're not going to Jerusalem. On the Mount of Transfiguration, let's build something permanent. It was a mixed economy of a mouth. And this mouth needed taming because it lay behind the failure. Gordon MacDonald Um, and his wife Gail were at a a conference and he was meeting lots of uh, people and they were saying goodbye and he was saying goodbye to somebody. He just said, it's been really great to meet you. We must have a meal together sometime. And as they walked away, his wife Gail said to him, "Uh, you shouldn't have said that. He said, why? She said, that man's going to go home and the first thing he's going to say, I met Gordon MacDonald. And he said he wants to have a meal with me sometime. And he said he'll wait for a phone call and that phone call will never come. She says you do it and you do it often. The mouth of the wordsmiths needs to be tamed. One of the uh, best books, I I should have recommended it uh, for the bookstore Uh, It's used in a lot of Bible colleges. I know Moreland's use it, and I know missionary organizations use it in their uh, mission formation, uh, overcoming the dark side of leadership. We have used it in our Southwest training by Mackintosh and Reamer. Make sure you get the latest edition. Sam Reamer at the end has a little portfolio of to do's. And number eight is this, I will be honest in all things and guard myself from exaggeration and lies of admission he says this regarding his uh, his preaching this is a wordsmith I want to communicate with excellence and make the most of every opportunity I will prepare exhaustively for each opportunity I am given I will never attempt to wing it in any setting Jesus wants to come to the man who with his words has so often let the Lord down. And the Lord is saying to him, as with Isaiah, take a live coal, touch my lips, because I want to be a holy man. But then you see finally how Jesus, the pastor, indicates the, the future shape of ministry. Uh, this is uh, a benediction, if you like, as you leave the Pastoral Refreshment Conference. First of all, pastor God's people. Notice, not not focus on the title pastor, but focus on what a pastor does. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep. Appropriate food for the ages. Young lambs, mature sheep. Pastor God's people. Secondly, bear the cost of discipleship. When you were young, you walked where you wanted to but when you are old, you will be led where you don't want to go. And there'll come a time when you'll stretch out your hands and we now know this was a prophecy hanging over Peter's life concerning his death and the manner of his death because tradition tells us he did die by crucifixion during the reign of Nero. You realize that for three decades, Peter's ministry was under the shadow of the cross. which of course is our calling. Every one of us here are disciples around the table and discipleship is dying a thousand deaths to self in order to live for him. I, I told you in my interview with Stuart on Monday about uh, one of two critical points in my life, 1998, 1988 was a critical uh, moment when I was being led in a direction I didn't want to go. Um, We were living in a fantastic house. Our kids were very, very happy, and I had a wonderful team, and things were going well. I've talked to you about that. And then um, an invitation I couldn't ignore came, and it was one of those that just wouldn't go away. Uh, We had a, a young retriever dog called Reagan, don't ask. Um, in those days, and I remember walking the cliff tops all around South Devon, Tor Bay, and deciding whether I was going to be the man who wandered where he willed, or whether I would be the man who was willing to be led where he didn't want to go. And I'm so grateful to the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, a loving wife. Wasn't so easy with the kids. The Lord may have told you, but he hasn't told us. But it was absolutely crystal clear and right to walk where he wanted me to walk. And the final word really is follow me. I've already indicated to you why was he so bothered about John? Because I think he loved John. John with a balance to his ministry He needed John. But at this moment of his life, rather like here at this table, he says to you, forget the church. Forget the person, the loved person sitting next to you at this moment. Follow me. Individually, not via a third party, hear the word of Jesus in the ear. You are my beloved child, and in you I am well pleased. You're my beloved child when you are walking close to me and when you're far away from me. You are my beloved child when your ministry is fruitful and when you are deaf and turn your face away. And above all, you are my beloved child when once again you bring the broken pieces of your life and hand them to me and say, please mend me again. Between 2000 and 2005, the second intifada took place in Israel. Palestinians uh, rose up, and it was in that period, around 202, that the high security war, if you've been to Israel, as I have done many, many times. By the way, promise me never, ever go to Bethlehem for a couple of hours. There are Christians living in Bethlehem. And it's true to say that the Christian population has come down, but many of those Arab Christians, they ran the hotels, the boarding houses, the gift shops, the restaurants, and of course that trade did dry up. There's a trickle, and uh, when I was there last year, uh, we went to to Bethlehem. But this story comes from that 202 period. Christian couple belonged to one of the uh, fellowships in Bethlehem, and uh, the bombing, the aircraft bombs, Uh, snipers it had just left destruction all over Bethlehem and this lady uh, the pilgrim traffic had died up and this lady was walking through the streets one day they'd had to close their gift shop restaurant and she just saw all this broken glass lying everywhere and she had one of those um, moments of revelation where she heard the Lord saying to us Um, take a bag and collect this glass so she took the bag and very carefully collected the glass and brought it home and the Lord was still talking to her on the way home Uh, they invited a friend round and she poured out this broken glass on their kitchen table the friend was a glass artist he took the glass away and um, a few days later he uh, he brought this not this one but something like this. He bought this beautiful little glass angel back. And the pastor who shared the story with me said, um, we realized that uh, this was a beautiful symbol. I-, I should add that what happened that this glass artist uh, showed this family how they could become a cottage industry, that the collection of broken pieces put together in the hands of an expert could become something beautiful you go to Bethlehem now you'll find the glass shop they have a website and uh, I was there with my wife not so long ago and uh, there are nativity scenes it's it's just marvelous how this has happened but this was the point the pastor said he said we learned the gospel principle not simply that God cares for those who are poor and unemployed but out of brokenness always comes beauty If you come close enough you'll see my little angel is been all over the world, she, she's a bit patched up, and, but isn't that like ministry? That if you come this morning to the table and say it's me again, failure never cancels out the promise. And Jesus, the pastor on the beach, longs to patch up pastors, patch up leaders, recommission them, forgiven, assured, breathe on them the Holy Spirit's power and get out there and do the stuff. Because Jesus, the pastor, whether in the field, whether in the valley, whether on the beach, always turns beauty out of brokenness. Brokenness can become something beautiful. Let's pray. Lord, our simple prayer is that you will do your best work in our broken lives. We are the called ones. We don't need to have any more reassurance from you. We are the ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven, and ready to go. But we do pray that you will do the deep work of healing by your grace in our lives. Because you know the deepest desire of our hearts is not only to be refreshed, but to be fruitful. So in your grace and mercy come and heal our brokenness for the sake of Jesus, the pastor, his glory alone. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Living Leadership Podcast. We hope what you've heard today spurs you on in your walk with the Lord. If you're encouraged by today's episode, consider sharing it with a friend or colleague or leaving us a review on your podcast app of choice to help others find us. If you'd like to engage further with us on anything we've discussed today, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on any major social media application at Living Leaders, or you can visit our website, www.livingleadership.org, where you'll find even more support and resources to help you live in Christ joyfully and serve him faithfully. Blessings.